Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 18 is our text this morning as we continue on our theme of missions through the month of February. I'm excited to preach this passage. I hope it'll teach us great things and warn us about great things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and following reads this way. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measures, that is, in another man's labor. But with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. You may be seated. Father, there are great warnings within the scriptures to your children, and this is one of them, Lord. This is one that teaches us how not to do missions. And so, Lord, we want to learn what the Bible says about not doing so that we will learn to do what's right and you will be able to use us to reach beyond, to go beyond our own borders, to go beyond our own selves, Lord, at times. So, Lord, we would pray that you would strengthen us for this. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the charge of missions. It is the charge of the church If we are not proclaiming the gospel both here and abroad, we are failing at the Great Commission. So Lord, help us as we uh, stir in our own hearts this love to see your gospel go further, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Bless your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Before I get going, next week we have the privilege of having Paul Anthes here. He is um, the head of, on the American side of Compassion for Congo. I want to just mention that. You don't want to miss this. It's a brand new, a very relatively brand new mission that has started, and we've been able to get on kind of the ground floor of that. Um, I've asked Paul to share pictures and really share the ministry as well as teach to us from God's word. So I don't want you to miss it. This is an amazing ministry. He, the ministry is in Luambashi, um, Congo, where there is 80% unemployment. I mean, we get upset when we hear about eight so you just imagine what's going on. It has church planning, orphanages, medical work, all of that's happening there. We really want you to hear about this next week. So plan on being with us as Paul comes. This text struck me, oh, a number of months ago. I was reading in it, and, and I thought, oh, Lord, here is an example of how not to do missions. And could I preach on this, Lord, to help us learn from the mistakes of others? One of the things I've told my boys through the years is learn from your mistakes and also learn from the mistakes of others. Think about that. If we learn from our own mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, our sin and repent of those things and learn from them, great truths can be learned. But also sometimes God allows us to learn from other people's mistakes so we don't have to commit them. 
And that's really what a lot of this passage is about. World missions had stopped with Corinth. It got as far as Corinth and it stopped. And there's reasons why it did. And heaven forbid, we do not want that here at Grace Bible Church. We, we want missions to go beyond us. We want to be part of ministry that goes far beyond us. I think part of it is the time we live in. I read an article recently by a guy named Elwood McQuaid. He's a writer um, out of Israel. He wrote this um, in an article. I'll paraphrase some of it and read some of it. I want to give him credit for it because it was very insightful. He, he said this to start the article out that on January 8th, 1956, that um, the world stopped as we watched four men die on a riverbank in South America. Those men were, as you remember, Jim Elliott, he was 28 years old, Roger Yonderlin, um, 31, Nate St. Uh, Nate Saint, 32, Peter Fleming, 27, and Ed McCauley, 29. You remember these men. They were trying to get into a new tribe down in South of America. And they had been dropping literature and trying to warn them that they were coming on and they were coming to share the gospel with them, trying to, to come into their village. And when their plane finally landed, they were surrounded by an Akas tribe and they murdered them right there on the banks. Well, in... 1956, that was big news. In fact, the world went crazy. The author here says this, the news of their martyrdom quickly swept through newsrooms, newsrooms across America. Life magazine, famous for its photojournalism, spread and ran a major article. Wire services immediately picked up the story, um, disseminating this news bureau throughout America. Soon newspapers everywhere were printing details, descriptions of the mission and the murders. A sense of dismay colored the reporting. It took place on the beach of Kumare River was inconceivable and being martyred for one's faith in Christ was considered the stuff of ancient history. Nation was in an uproar. I've met Nate uh, Saint's son and, and he had the great privilege of leading one of the men to the Lord who killed his father. And I met him as well, a little teeny tribal guy. But where the world was just in utter shock, particularly America, that there was actually Christians dying for the faith. Writer goes on to say some of these things. On October 6, 2014, the, world reach, uh, reach, uh, the word reached the world that Boko Haram, Islamic terrorist, had burned down 185 churches in Nigerian towns that he had conquered. They raided the villages, ransacked, destroyed homes, and caused 190,000 people to be displaced, including 200 Nigerian girls whom Boko Haram captured and carried away as virtual slaves. According to the Morning Star News, 1,631 Christians were martyred in the first six months of 2014 alone. Hundreds have died since. As terrible as these numbers are, the slaughter in Nigeria is small in comparison to the number of people being killed by ISIS terrorists ravaging the Middle East. ISIS is at war in a bloodthirsty quest to establish Islamic dominance, first in the Middle East, then Europe, America, and eventually the entire world. They're often stated overriding objective is to annihilate Christianity which their leaders have declared to be enemy number one. Their commitment is on display in great numbers 
by the Christians they have slaughtered. Churches have been destroyed. Artifacts and institutions related to the name of Jesus are obliterated. At a recent conference in Jerusalem, sponsored by the International Christian Assembly in Jerusalem and in the World Jewish Congress, it was reported across the Middle East in the last 10 years, 100,000 people who named the name of Christ have been murdered. That's one every five minutes if you do the math. He goes on to write, he says, well, what's changed? Why was the world so outraged in 1956 when four men die for their faith? And yet, as, as horrible as it was, we were caught up in these 200 girls that got taken away. You remember the story? But we never, we never heard of the 185 churches burned and their Christians burned within them. And the next news just rolls on. We live in such a consumer society. And selfishness has dominated the world. And and somewhere those 200 girls are still enslaved somewhere. Somewhere. Listen, think about this. And I don't know how many of these people were true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's say half of them were. How many parents don't have children any longer? I mean, I just, you can't get by that when you stop and think at the devastation that's coming to the name of Christ. And yet, we have missionaries that want to go there. It may not be you and me. We may not have that call, but we have people who want to go there. And so, what stops that? What stops that from happening and how do we become so complacent at times we start to think about what is going on in the world? Well, this passage, I think, really hits that. And Paul begins to wrestle with this group of Christians called the Corinth Church of why missions have stopped. It was a problem in a lot of the areas, why their teaching had gone south and why they had mixed up the roles between men and women and, and why, why they, they had climbed onto false teaching so easily. What made them go there? What made them have such problems? Well, these first couple of verses start to tell you what the great obstacles of the gospel-driven missions is. Look with me in verse 12. And we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. So right there he begins to tell you there's a problem in the church. There's some that are in the church that commend themselves. They stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, look what we have done. Look who we are. You should give us praise. You want to kill ministry off? Do that. Demand that somebody recognize who you are and what you're doing and give me a title. That'll kill ministry. It'll kill missions. Notice the verse says, but when they, were, they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves by themselves, they're without understanding. There's, there's no standard. Their standard is themselves. So if your standard is yourself, you go, I'm doing pretty good. There's my standard. I see it. I'm doing pretty good. What is your measure? What's the standard of why we do what we do. Look at verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to each even as far as you. Well, the problem is this legalistic 
mentality of we are the standard. If you measure up with us, then it's going to be okay. Let me take a couple passages. Go to Luke chapter 18 with me. This has been a problem before. Jesus walked right into the middle of it. Um, This is who fought him from the time of his uh, adult ministry to the time he died on the cross. They battled him, and Jesus exposes this sin and the deadness of their heart so often. You remember this story in Acts, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It is a story of two people who come into a place of worship, particularly the temple here. In verse 9, Jesus starts to tell the story, and he told the disciples this, this parable of people who trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So he's telling a story here. This is a, it's, it's, Probably a very, very true story. It's called a parable, but he uses two different characters here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Wow. He apparently missed the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord taught on prayer. Hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, your will in heaven be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. Would it be done here? Very humble, broken approach to God. I don't think this man thought he was wrong. He probably thought he was right. He goes, these other people are swindlers, they're unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, he points a particular person out. Verse 12, he begins to laud his standards. Remember, they compare themselves to themselves. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes at all that I get. Here is my list, God. This is the standard of why and how you accept me. But there's a different player in this picture. He's the tax collector. He is the outcast, according to the Jews, But the tax collector, standing some distance away, he would not go publicly as the idea here. He did not want to be seen. He didn't want to be up front as this other one was. Was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Notice the article there. Not just a general sinner in all, I'm the sinner. You know the rest of the text. Jesus says, I tell you, the latter man went away justified. And I long to meet this man, if this truly is a particular person, I'm sure it was. Because I'm sure God went on to use this man to do great things. He was broken and called himself the sinner. He didn't say, I am the standard of righteousness. I'm the standard of sin. I'm the standard of one who needs the mercy of God. It's amazing when we get to that point how God can use this. Turn over to Luke 5 real quick with me because this was a problem throughout Jesus' ministry as I already mentioned. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It's as though Jesus knew the hearts of all men when he came to the earth. I think he did. Because look what he does. He, for one of his disciples, he calls Matthew. And guess what he is in verse 27 of chapter 5? After he went out, and noticed a tax collector. Wow. You went out and got the scourge of the world. He got a tax collector. Named Levi sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. The idea is get in behind me. Be a disciple of me. And he left everything behind. 
Well, that's a difference right there. You want to see people get saved? Leave what you think is valuable behind. He left it all behind. He got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him. That's Jesus in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining to the table with them. And then comes verse 30, the ones who judge themselves by themselves. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Boy, Jesus was waiting for this, wasn't he? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, you see yourself spiritually healthy. You don't have, you, in essence, Jesus is saying, you have no need of what I have. So you just keep what you have, and in the end, we'll see what happens with you. Isn't that what he's saying? You don't, you don't need what I have. I can heal your soul. But you don't see yourself in need of a soul physician. Notice the next verse. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. That's what his job, that's what he did. Rose who, who said, I'm a sinner. He, he, the, Matthew, the Luke 18 guy was right in his sight. When we don't get over this, mission stops. Ministry stops within the church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick as we work our way back to our text. But let's stop in 1 Corinthians 4 on the way. Verse 12 and 13 of our text say that they measured themselves according to themselves, right? They compared themselves according to themselves. So they were the standard. And if they looked in the mirror, they said, well, there's the standard. So I'm living that standard, so I'm good. Look how Paul handles the exact same question of how you measure yourself. Chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. That's a different terminology right off the bat. Servant. Dulos, slave. I, I'm not here, I'm here. All right? There's a difference. He, he says, I'm a servant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Not stewards of my own thinking, not my own translation of stuff, not my own interpretation. I'm here to be a steward of the mysteries of God. That's the gospel. We know that. Verse 2, in this case, moreover, it is required of a steward that one be found trustworthy. Ideas faithful. They're, they're faithful people. Paul says that the steward should be found faithful. Not faithful to his own view, but faithful to the mysteries of God. Now look what he does with this, verse 3. But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. So Paul says, you are in the habit of examining yourself according to yourself. Paul says, I don't even examine myself by myself. And I don't be, I'm not examined by your standards. Here he reveals the real truth of it, verse 4. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. I like this. He says, if I look at myself, I look pretty good. Yeah, there I am. Going to church, giving some offering. You know, got the kids dressed in here. My mom's at the retreat. <laughs> you know, look, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. He says, I look at myself, I don't see anything glaring, Right? Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. 
Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come from him from God, to him from God. What an amazing statement. It's so contrary as you turn back to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says in and this and the topic is missions here is that missions and ministry has stopped in the Corinth church because the measurement is not according to God's word according to God's standard how God judges us and makes decisions about our lives how we reflect in, in view of his grace and in view of his mercy but because the standards were compared to themselves and so ministry stops See, the point is, mission is often blocked because of our own poor assessments of ourselves. And I read this article that I read to you a number of months ago, and I thought, Lord, I forgot about those girls. And I can only imagine if somebody took one of my children, and I have no idea where they're at. I haven't prayed for those people. See, we, we get lost so quickly in our daily grind, and I know it's difficult, and I want to, at the end of the service, I want to give you a few thoughts to try to help us start the process of being missional and think ministry-wise, because I'm just like you, I can get lost in the daily things God gives us to do. But the fact is, they've never found those girls and there's 190,000 Christians ran out and their churches burned. And now we haven't even got into what's going on in the Middle East. How do we not lose that? See, mission stops and ministry stops because we are, have a poor assessment of ourselves. We often have a high, a high view of ourselves and versus a, a, a poor sinner. Lord, I need your help. I don't think missional. Verse 13, Paul says, but we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God appointed to us will measure. So he begins to say, look, I'm, I'm not here to judge myself by myself. I'm here to see if I'm doing the will of God. Am I within his will, within his word, within the mandates? Am I keeping the mysteries of the glory of God? Am I sharing those? Am I fulfilling what God has called me to do? He says that's the measure that we should live within. And that sphere is whether the gospel is the center of that. This whole context is based on the gospel going forward. Not being stopped, but going forward. And that's what he says is this is within this ministry sphere. Is the gospel still moving forward in my role that God has given me? Am I part of a gospel that's going further? One great man said this. He said there, is a little, there are little Pharisees in all of us. And I think that's true. We have a little bit of pharisaical mentality and, and even nature to us. But when we work on that sphere, which is the gospel, it frees us from that legalism that binds us so much. There is fruit to Paul's labor. Notice number two, the fruitful labor of the gospel-driven partnership in missions. Look at verse 14. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. 
We were the first to come, even as far as the gospel. Notice the, the I don't know if your translation has it as a second word, for we. I have that we circled. I have the we circled in verse 13, and I have the we circled in verse 12 in my Bible. Is that important? Paul's saying we. See, we think of Paul planting the Corinth church. I'm going to show you um, a, a picture here of his ministry here in my next point. But Paul never says, does he go alone? He says, we, we did not do this. We did not overextend ourselves. We will not boast. We do not hold to a class and compare ourselves. Notice he's bringing in a partnership that it takes to take, that it takes to go with the gospel. One thing you'll hear from all our missionaries that show up here, and if you talk with them and pray, see the regular prayer letters, they will constantly say, we cannot do this alone. And it's not that they're seeking money. They know that it cannot be done alone. It's impossible for what they're doing. Paul will tell you next week that they are, one of their great parts of their ministry is bringing Congonese babies into America and getting them adopted into uh, families. There's, four, I think he told us 14 or 15 babies now he's got into California here that are in godly homes. And the requirement is the people need to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They attend a Bible teaching church um, where these children will grow with their parents um, in the church together. And because they're doing this, the rumor has gone out around Lubumbashi that they're taking the children, they're sending them to America, and they're cutting them up and selling their body parts. This is what they're against. They're offering hope to places where there's absolutely no hope, but the world they're saying, oh, they're doing this. Outright, just absolute lies. And Paul will say, he'll look to us next week, and he'll say, we can't do this alone. And I love that about Paul. And when he talks about the fruit of his ministry, it's always, we are not overextending ourselves. We're not boasting beyond our measure. Notice the we's that are in there. That's how ministry gets done. It is done through we. Notice the fact that Paul came first to Corinth uh, with the gospel. That was his goal. Notice the whole text in verse 14 says, we did not overextend ourselves. We came and did exactly what God asked us to do. We came with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul planted these churches. Paul planted the church in Corinth. It was not done by those false prophets that were coming in or false apostles behind them. Look, just flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 with me. I want to see how he has such a love for these people, even though they were in great disobedience. This is the kind of the we effort that you'll see. First uh, Corinthians three six. I planted, apostle uh, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. Look, he gives credit. He he came in there, planted the church. Ap- Apollos came in, pro- preached and taught. The church was grown. Verse nine. For we are God's plural fellow workers. Plural. You are God's field, God's building. Verse ten. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like wise master builder, I laid on a foundation, and another building on it. This is Paul's work. He said, we came. This is the work that we did. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. For if you were to have, for if, I, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. But in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. See, the point is, Paul says, these, I was there. I came. And and what's happening, you have to understand what's happening. Paul came, every time he went and planted a church, and you'll see this as we look at this slide here in a minute, every time he ended up planting a church, 
by the time he was getting ready to leave or he leaves to go plant the next one, the false prophets, false, what he calls false apostles, come in behind him. And that's what he's saying in verse 14 of our text. This was, we first came to you. We're not coming in behind these other guys. We came to you with the gospel and this false teaching comes. You'll hear this from our missionaries all the time. They'll say things like this. They'll say, since we've been there, the gospel took off. Um, we were talking to Nilo not, not too long ago. He, he talks about a ministry that they found up in the hills. They take these vans. They drive for a long time. Then they get on these motorbikes. They go as far as the motorbikes will take them. Then they get off those, and they get on the horses. And then they ride the horses as far as the horses will take us. And then it's so steep, they can't do the horses. And then they walk into this place, and they share the gospel, and God's saving people. But he'll tell you the false prophets are right behind them. They come right in behind. And that's the way Satan works. And Paul says, look, this is what's happened. We were the first to come to you. We brought the gospel to you. We were the first ones on scene. Look at chapter 11, just below this. I, I love this text because he's a pastor in his, in his heart, loves these people, even though he is off planting other churches. God has called him to many other works that he goes to. He has a love for these people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. I wish that you would bear with me a little, in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to, to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. I mean, this is passionate. This is, this is intimate. He sees these people as part of his ministry. He, he went far. He went far to see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, Lord, here they are. Here's people. They are your bride. They are, this is your wife, a pure virgin. Here we give them to you. See, if you plant fruit, you want to plant a tree, you want to see fruit, Right? How many of us plant a, tr a tree in the backyard and we come over to your house and say, what's that tree? Well, that's an apple tree. I'll go, are you going to get apples here? No, nah, we don't want apples. We just want the shade. We'll plant a mulberry tree or something, right? Paul planted a fruit tree, right? He, he wanted something from this. He wanted fruit from these things. And he's looking for missions to go forward from here. Third thought. Gospel-driven ministry are not complacent are not complacent. Look here with me in verse 15 and 16. Not boasting beyond our measure that is in other men's labors. Right? He was the first to come, right? But with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarging even more by you as to preach the gospel even to regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another's. So look, Paul's saying this, here's our goal. Here's our goal is to mature you so that we can go beyond you. I think that probably hit, those verses hit me the most this week. I thought, Lord, the gospel came to Corinth and stopped. It couldn't go any farther because of the immaturity in the sinful situation that the Corinth church was in. You remember what they were struggling with, Right? They have a man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 sleeping with his mother-in-law and allowing it in the church. It's the big elephant, but no one's dealing with it. Paul comes along and goes, are you kidding me? You're going to let this stay in Christ's church? They can't get in line to share truth 
They're, they're selfish. They eat food before the, the poor people come. There's all kinds of problems within this church. And you can see the gospel, particularly missions in this verse, comes up against Corinth and it stops. It can't go any farther. Because the church is not living according to the scriptures. They're not desiring to be holy lives Offer to God. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because all that God has done for you, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here it is, God. Use us beyond the walls of Grace Bible Church building. Lord, we don't want to be just here on Sundays, and that is our ministry, and there's nothing on beyond that. Oh, heaven forbid, if... We get to that point, and I don't think we are, but we, I think this is a great warning. Let me, let me show you. Michael, do we have that slide available um, as, as they get to that? See, complacency kills missions. I, I think when we say, are, are we concerned with what's going on in the Philippines or Congo is that just, hey, we just do missions? Uh, believe me, I've been to so many churches. I've spent my life preaching, right? And 30 plus years in the ministry. I've been to so many churches and so many places. Everybody does missions. I've not been to a church that doesn't have a missions wall back there and does it. But is it, is it complacent? Do we get complacent when we go back and look at that board? And I, I hope you look at that because we've rearranged it and really try to show you where those people are serving at. And Ted has done a phenomenal job trying to help us start to think about what's going on around the world there, that we don't become complacent. Now, Paul's missionary journeys, could be in trouble here, Michael. It's not working, Michael. Oh, sure. <laughs> Still not working, Michael. I'll let Jeff figure it out. Ah, got it. <laughs> it's a red button. This is where, this is where, um, <laughs> this is where Paul starts out. This was his sending church. Do you, have you ever heard that term before? Are we a sending church of any missionaries? that have been raised up in this church and sent out. Carnivals are one of those. Who's the next? I mean, just start thinking about this. Who is the next that we send out from here that are sent from this church? So there was a starting point. You know how he, he, and he just, we studied this before, how he works his way. He gets his, oh, he gets so beat up here so badly. This is Southern Galatian churches. He gets beat up, goes back through, preaches, goes back through again. They warned him not to go through, but he went through again. He works his way all the way up through what we call Asia Minor, jumps across here, sails over here, and that's where we're studying when we get back to, to uh, Philippians here. But he goes all the way, all the way down across the coast, all the way down through Mes- Mesopotamia, and then ends up sailing around and getting to Corinth. Now, Jesus said that you were to go to the remotest parts of the world. This was their world in a lot at this point. Everything beyond this had not been reached. Now, Paul says in Romans that he wants to go to Spain. And he's inviting the Corinth church to go with them, but they can't. Because they're so screwed up in their theology and what they're living. And so, I I just want you to see the reality of this. Mission stopped at Corinth, and then he went back home. It stopped. And I think this is what Paul is after in these texts, that it shouldn't stop. 
It should keep going. I, I, I love this verse, so as to preach, verse 16, the gospel even to the regions beyond you. So I can't wait to share Paul with you next week because most of you don't know what's going on in Congo. I didn't. I did not have a clue until we reached out to Paul and said, Paul, what are you doing in Congo? I want to know and I want to be a part of it. He said, let me tell you what we're doing in Congo. Nobody knows. They only have a handful of churches supporting them. They're, they're, they're just starting out. They have three churches planted. They're training seven more men to plant churches. They have orphanage going. They have a medical facility going. And nobody knows they exist. Do you want to go beyond? See, this is where that gospel-driven missions is not complacent. And, and as I read that article a couple months ago, and I said, Lord, I am as guilty as anyone in our church that we have forgotten this. We've forgotten what goes on around the world. Fourth, and finally, the gospel of Christ is fueled by gospel-driven missions. Look at verse 17 and 18. Excuse me, the glory of Christ is the fuel for gospel-driven ministry. Remember, these people are boasting in their own abilities. They're comparing themselves to themselves. They're commending themselves to themselves. And Paul ends this little section here with saying, but he who boasts in the Lord, who, he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. He says this in chapter um, uh, chapter one of First Corinthians, he says almost the same thing, and but he he precedes it with a statement like this: "But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus." First Corinthians one verse thirty: "But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God." You want to know God? You got to know Jesus. He is the wisdom and power of God. He's just established that in that whole first chapter of First Corinthians one. He's the righteousness and he's the sanctification and he's our redemption. And then he says this way, so just as written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't accept, verse 18, don't accept your own approval rating. Don't say, oh Lord, I'm doing pretty good. Put yourself up against the scriptures. Now let me close with just a, a very practical thought. And I want us all to get this before we go to communion. I, I have the privilege that I spend my life in ministry. And I count it a privilege. But I worked a lot of years on the back of a horse. And, and I know what Mondays are like for many of you. I do know. I know that they're weighty. You're trying to pay bills. You're trying to manage your homes. You have a tremendous amount of pressure on you. I, I get it. And I, I, I don't want to be a pastor that doesn't understand where his people are at. And I thought hard. I said, Lord, I know I can get complacent. But on Monday, I'll be in the word of God studying for the next message while the people you give me to shepherd are out in the world. They're listening to your name profaned. They're trying to decipher what's right and wrong from a biblical standpoint of, of their business practices. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure on them. And here, we're gonna preach for six weeks 
on missions to them. I don't want to overwhelm them, Lord, but I want to push them. These are my prayers this week. Does that hit anybody in here? Does anybody resonate with that? Am I, am I understanding where you're at? Because I know life is difficult. And, and there's bills to be paid and there's marriages to be worked on and children to be raised and relationships to be managed and taken care of and loving our neighbors and, and being a part of ministries and small groups and all the things that God gives us. How, how do I become mission-minded with all of that? I'm going to give you more. I'm going to preach again in two weeks on this subject. But I want to give you just one today. It's a very simple thing. Start with prayer. You have to pray or you'll never be concerned with missions. It is as simple as saying this this morning, even maybe during communion time, Lord, will you help me pray for missions around the world? I'm not asking you to give at this point. I hope you do. I'm not even asking you to go at this point. We're going to provide things in future time to come. But I'm, I'm asking that we could just pray. And I think the prayer has two levels. One, it starts privately. You and I privately praying that God would give us an awareness of missions. Could we do that? Is that too much to ask of Grace Bible Church that we would just pray, that we would be people who individually pray, oh Lord Jesus, give me a burden for the lost around the world. I don't have it. I get lost in everything else. I do not honestly have a burden like I should of missions around the world. Secondly, first of all, pray privately. Secondly, pray corporately. We have a missions prayer team. It's going to meet again February 22nd, 8.15-ish, 8.30, across the street in the CE building. Come pray with us. Pray in your home groups. A lot of our home groups, we, pra- we pass around the prayer request. Be ready to pray in your home group for those missionaries and, and ask God to be burdened. So I'm not giving you a list of things that we want to do right now in missions. We'll, we'll talk about that in time to come. But I honestly want to start with prayer. Because nothing happens in my ministry that I don't pray for. My preaching doesn't get better. My counseling doesn't get better. My own personal outreach does not get better unless I pray. So I'm asking Grace Bible Church to pray. Pray for missions. Pray that God will give you a burden. Father, as we turn our attention to your son's table, the Lord's table, I think I can confess for many people here in this building that we too forget quickly of what goes on around the world. We watch the world news and we certainly try to have a biblical Christian worldview of what's going on, Lord. But we don't think about missionaries that are in that spot. What's going on in places that never do make the news? And so, Lord, we realize that our conscience hasn't been pricked because we haven't been talking to you about these things. 
So Lord, I would ask this morning that you would help us pray. Starting today, Lord, each and every one of us. Maybe it's right after church and we're at a meal. Would we just stop there, Lord, and pray for those who are doing things that we can't do right now. Spreading and sharing the gospel around the world in places that are dark and difficult and full of hatred and anti-Christ. Could we just pray at lunch, Lord? And then, Lord, I'd ask that you would help us pray right before we go to sleep, Lord, as we lay our heads down after a busy day, that we would say, oh, Lord, give me awareness of those seeking to share the gospel around the world. And Father, maybe from there, even Monday morning, as we start our busy days and our busy week, Lord, may we say, oh, Lord, give me awareness of missions. This is the command to the church to go into all the world. So Father, please help us. We're being honest and open before you, Lord. Give us a love for what you're doing around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.